Welcome back to EnterTheRealWorld.com. This is Secret Agent Men, episode 14. Jason Bourne, definitely not the Bourne legacy. My name is Matt Waters. I am joined on this endeavour, as always, by Ben Phillips, who is watching the movie right this second. Ben, how is Jason Bourne right this second? I mean, it's the bit of the movie that they do well, I guess. The stunts are good. I suppose that's true. God, this is a bad movie. Yeah, it's a real not good movie. It was released July of 2016. Ben Phillips went to the world premiere. (laughs) Yep. And remembered almost none of it. So managed to remain relatively spoiler-free when we watched the first four movies. (laughs) I remember his dad was involved. Uh I remember that, and I remember that that Vincent Cassell didn't like him. Can I just say, through four movies, I guess you don't have to count Legacy, there was no confirmation Jason Bourne even had parents, and now they're like, the crux of this movie is his relationship with his father. (laughs) It's like, oh, okay, I didn't even know he had a dad. And also, another person in the CIA who had involvement in this that we haven't told you about previously. Yeah, like, at what point did we run out of old white dudes in rooms that were, like, involved in this? because it's getting ridiculous. And how many directors of the CIA can we chew through? There have literally been four, I think. I wouldn't even care that much. I just like would like a scene with someone where like Tommy Lee Jones is talking to Joan Allen or Scott Glenn or <laughs> David Strathairn or someone from the previous movies. Yeah, because but... like, he's taken over from Scott Glenn. I mean, fair enough. The gap between this one is potentially 10 years so it's a bit hazy because of the time scale that happens between two and three but we've run through all these different directors of the cia i don't think the cia changes its director that often i don't know who the current cia director is but i i would imagine they've held the job for more than like one year but so, also yeah. hold, hold the job for more than one year but also have like in-depth knowledge and like relationship off screen with the person so this was released four years after the born legacy eight years after the born ultimatum but of course ultimatum and supremacy take place at basically the same time and legacy takes place partially at the same time as that so who knows what year they think it actually is in this movie and how i think they say 2004 i think it is set when born supremacy came out and they've kind of said that like the events of ultimatum and supremacy are 2004 right and then obviously are they saying this is actually 2016 or 15 or whatever i like, think they are i think they're saying it's been he's jason Bourne has been gone for a decade at this point at least oh 12 years after the events of the born ultimatum apparently yeah so i guess they're going for real time if they're saying 2004 and 2016 except it's not because it's only been like nine years since ultimatum came out no but i'm saying the movie Jason Bourne is set in real time whereas the others are nebulous (laughs) directed Paul Greengrass is back Tony Gilroy is not so Paul Greengrass also wrote this movie alongside noted screenwriter Christopher Rouse How many scripts has he written, Ben? Uh, one. Oh, and it's Jason Bourne, yes, because this dude is an editor and a producer on Green Zone, Captain Phillips. I think he's edited most of Paul Greengrass's films. He's edited a bunch of films and co-produced with the guy that produces all of these. So it feels like they just said to their friend, hey, do you want to have a go at screenwriting on a major movie in a major franchise? I guess it sort of makes sense in terms of you are the person who's going to be setting the visual template for this movie. Sure. Let's do some stuff that you think would be fun to edit I guess yeah. but like as is as has been noted in reviews this is also the first Bourne movie that doesn't have like the stunt director from mm. the previous movies which is very apparent from how as, much less interesting all the action is in this movie yeah. and as I said to you before we started The Winter Soldier has come out in between Bourne movies and and this one and The Winter Soldier is a better Bourne movie than Jason Bourne is like Marvel have taken over as the top dogs of action cinema at this point and yeah they've lent into this kind of it's not the same 
but you know they are encroaching on this like being a true patriot means taking down the government <laughs> type stuff yeah did um, the, the stunt direction on that is is it it's leech and um and stahelski isn't it who did the, the stunt work on wind soldier or like I, they they at least worked it. i don't know whether or not I, they th- did the... I think so yeah they they yeah. love they love dropping a knife from one hand to another <laughs> everyone loves that these days yeah it's just, it's just one of those things where like you can tell oh and then yeah they did second interaction on civil war as well so like you can tell that the these kind of big stunt people mm. had a hand in that movie which they didn't have a hand in this movie at least not in the same way or at least not with the same level of success matt damon also has uncredited script work um, I think mostly on just like the bullet points, the the outline, rather than actually writing lines of dialogue. But yeah, it is two hours and three minutes long, making it the longest Bourne movie with Matt Damon in it, but still shorter than the Bourne Legacy. Uh, it is a hundred twenty million dollar budget, so ten million more than Ultimatum, but still less money than the Bourne Legacy, and it grossed four hundred and sixteen million, which. It sounds low because of some of the numbers that we've been dealing with, but it is actually pretty good for a Bourne movie. But I think it's very important to note that Bourne Ultimatum did $227 million domestic, whereas it's needed about 162. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, a massive drop between those two. This um, movie made less than Bourne Supremacy at the domestic, domestic box office, and yeah. whilst the worldwide total is higher, you get less of that money just because that involves... America hate Jason Bourne. After he um, shed light on Treadstone and Blackbriar, they yeah. just turned their back on him. Exactly. Double, roughly, what the Bourne Legacy made on its higher budget. So the Bourne Legacy continues to be an embarrassment in terms of financial performance. So, as we have covered while doing the Bourne Legacy, they were adamant they weren't going to come back, and that, you know, Matt Damon accepted, oh, they'll probably do it with more people. And this quote following the Bourne Ultimatum, For me, I kind of feel like the story that we set out to tell has been told. I love the character, and if Paul Greengrass calls me in ten years and says, now we can do it because it's been ten years and I have a way to bring him back, then there's a world in which I can go, yeah, absolutely. And such a huge part of this is like, they're absolutely right. The story they were telling of who is Jason Bourne, he finds it all out, case closed, narratively. And then I think you have to leave it alone. And then you say, right, what does this character's life look like when he's 10 years removed from this? He knows who he is. He's taken all this down. His, like, raison d'etre is is over. Who is he now? And they managed to not answer that question effectively in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> because, like, I'm with them. Don't do another one. But if you come up with a cool idea about, like, oh, what does his life look like in 10 years? I would like to see that. But they didn't. But they still made another one. <laughs> I think the reason they made another one is Matt Damon's career took a lot of big hits. The Bourne Legacy was terribly received by critics and is the worst performing one in the franchise. Paul Greengrass, I'm not entirely sure why he came back because, you know, he did Captain Phillips. I don't think he was, like, desperate for work, but maybe he just genuinely was like, ah, I'd like to do another one. And maybe they were both embarrassed by the Bourne Legacy, like, hurting their legacy, as it were, so felt the itch to come back. Universal gave the release date for Justin Lin's Bourne Legacy sequel to this movie. Originally rumoured titles for this include The Bourne Betrayal and The Born Resurgence. Which of those is the worst title? Uh, I don't know. They're all bad titles. <laughs> uh, Alicia Vikander chose to do this over Assassin's Creed because she likes the Born movies. I guess it was the right choice because Assassin's Creed, while I haven't seen it, seems demonstrably worse than this. But I don't know. There's There's been a critical re-evaluation on oh, Assassin's Creed. Oh, for fuck's sake. Are we doing the prequels all over again? No, I generally think some people actually kind of like Assassin's Creed. Okay. And despite Damon again saying he might be done with this character after this film came out. One of the producers of that Treadstone TV show said there's definitely another film in the works. So, will it be Jeremy Renner? Will it be Matt Damon? Will it be both of them? Oh god, they're totally going to do one with both of them despite saying they wouldn't, aren't they? So our agent is Jason Bourne, obviously. The actor and the character are a lot older, but the character is broadly the same. So as I said, I don't think they've capitalised on this opportunity to delve into who is this guy now without any of this will he just go stir crazy trying to live a normal life like ethan hunt they don't really tell you and then like as i said i think bringing in that family plot line so late into the franchise it's i'm not into it and like i don't think matt damon is like worse than he's been before the character is mostly mute like i think he has 50 lines of dialogue in the whole movie i i don't want to put it on damon that this isn't good i think it is the script quite frankly I think and, it's and just, I think it's just I think it's just everything. I think this yeah. is a movie that no one really had a firm idea on what to do. Universal wanted them to come back with a Bourne movie because 
they're financially viable. Matt Damon probably like wasn't commanding that big a paycheck, even though he's just coming off the Martian with this. But he spent a couple of years with some duds and yeah. like smaller roles and stuff like Interstellar. And so he's like he's probably just like okay, let's just do something cheap because this is also the same year he does The Great Wall, which is very much one of those like Tony Gilroy's own. Yeah, but very much like <laughs> come over to come over to China. You're going to be the white star of of this movie because we want it to be legit but it's going to be very much like asian actors and stuff like that and asian produced this will be your last samurai (laughs) i don't think anyone anyone cares i don't think there's like they're doing it out of a sense of obligation to make a movie rather than people want to make a movie and want to make it good and i think that's the bottom line of why this is bad is say what you will about born legacy but i get the feeling that tony gilroy probably did want to make that movie I don't think either of them are good, and I think the the main issue with these two movies, kind of like, and watching them more or less back to back, is I'm looking at it and kind of going, like, I can see why Tony Gilroy and Paul Greengrass together make a good movie, even if people like say that Tony Gilroy didn't work on or uh, is shouldn't get as much credit as he does for those Bourne movies. I can see where their two sensibilities come together to make a good movie in the middle, and having now watched a movie which is entirely one of their sensibilities and then one which is entirely the other sensibilities, I don't think either. Of them should make a movie without the other ever again because this was just mm. excruciatingly boring and I watched this in cinemas and again I watched it at the world premiere somehow forgot everything about this fucking movie and then watched it again and I was like oh but it was fine though I'm sure like it was just forgettable it was fine watching it this time I'm like, no this is actively pretty awful you and I texted an hour after I had finished it about plot details and neither of us could remember things that we had just seen <laughs> it reminds me in some ways of Harry Potter but without you know Greengrass or Gilroy being like massive transphobes in that at the time at the peak of it so coming out of Ultimatum knowing they weren't going to do another one I was like oh no please do another one please 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 in the same way that I wanted another Harry Potter book and then a little bit of time passes and then they finally are like okay we're going to do one and I'm like oh I don't care anymore like (laughs) at some point in life if they'd announced oh he's coming back it's Jason Bourne here we go I would have been fucking jazzed and I didn't go and see this, and I've only seen this now because of this podcast, and I assumed it wasn't good. Didn't hear anyone, like, clamour about how good it was at the time. And, yeah, it's just, it's soulless, you know? Like, there's no, I think it's what you said, there's no enthusiasm here. It feels like they are going through the motions in this franchise-driven movie world that we live in now, where there is a Marvel movie, or two Marvel movies a year, mostly, and a million Fast and Furiouses, and everyone's trying to get a franchise going, including Universal. It just feels like, oh yeah, we've just got to bang out a Jason Bourne movie every two years now, and please don't. (laughs) And they haven't yet, but if that thing the Treadstone dude said is true, then ugh. <laughs> yeah, and, and not to not to like bring up Marvel too much in this, but I do think that especially Captain America, but I think it's important to note that like the movies that are good with Marvel are the movies where people have come in and have been given like a degree of of control and have an actual idea. And it's why some of these franchises work and why some of them don't is yeah. some of these franchises have people at the core of them that care very deeply about what's going on, mm-hmm. and others are just made because they own the rights to it name and they want a movie to put out there that has this name attached and it can fill a spot on the calendar mm-hmm. and that's just kind of like how disappointing it is to be existing in this world where like to get a budget of more than a hundred million dollars you have to have some kind of name or some kind of star and it doesn't matter if you care about like what the source material is we just want to put a movie out that's robocop or <laughs> the mummy like because it's a recognizable name yeah and like i have friends that like complain all the time about like how hollywood is completely bereft of ideas and it's like no it's just it's so fucking expensive to make big movies now they will not front you unless you have something they consider bankable and i think there are still great movies coming out but they are smaller budget and they are less like all up in your business but like it's a weird world now and and yeah franchises and branding rule everything and i'm not trying to like take the side of the money men in hollywood but like i can understand why you wouldn't want to just give someone a hundred million dollars 
unless you thought you were going to get double that back. I think the main issue, though, is like, and this is like, no one's making mid-budget movies anymore. You're not yeah. getting those fifty to sixty million dollar, yeah. and, and to call that mid-budget is kind of yeah, laughable. Yeah. <laughs> but like, you're not, but, but you're not getting those kind of like romantic comedies or just a straight drama. And it's why people kind of freaked out about Knives Out because that is one of those things where like, yeah. what was the budget on Knives Out? Probably higher than you think it is. The, yeah, the, the, budget, <laughs> the budget on Knives Out was forty million dollars. Okay. So like a decent like they've given them some money and they've got some stars and it's made a shit ton of money like it's that kind of movie that no one's making anymore that you just when they come to it goes oh my god such a breath of fresh air because it's not transformers or yeah. or another <laughs> disney remake or yeah. i mean it's happening everywhere like video games like the the death of the the medium level game like it's all indie or triple a and there's nothing in between and i don't know if that is gonna come back at some point hopefully it will if we have things like knives out and and other stuff like that but if this is the grim world where like there's just gonna be a hollow jason bourne movie every four or five years then ugh. i do think oh. it's interesting is that like we are this is very close now to like modern day this is mm-hmm. a movie that i've seen the cinema fairly recently or like in terms of like when i'm going to the cinema and so it's just interesting to speak about it in this kind of landscape because we have kind of skipped over uh, the the marvel era of hollywood whilst we've been doing this podcast in that mm. the movie's kind of finished before marvel started becoming Coming sort of dominant dominance, and there's a couple that we've seen during Marvel's reign, mm. but now we're like firmly these kind of like Spectre, uh, Jason Bourne, and Mission Impossible Fallout are all coming out very firmly in the era where the dominant force of cinema is Marvel. And I think, I mean, I haven't seen Fallout yet, but the other two you mentioned there are wanting in comparison, quite frankly. Like they they look like they are like right, we can we can go up against them, but they can't, and they have no answers, and it's kind of sad. We don't want to be like the big Marvel fan boys but i think that's just you can't get around that that these movies in particular have been like outdone by somebody who's in like theoretically in a completely different space yeah i mean again the marvel infrastructure is in such a place where they could they could fall asleep at the wheel and still shit out a three-star movie like <laughs> yeah. like that is how that yeah. machine is running and some people are very annoyed that they're able to do this but at the end of the day there is a base level quality to marvel movies that is somehow missing from almost every other franchise yeah. that's existing in the world right now and it sucks that it sounds like you have to set up a machine to make that happen but we'll see Rian Johnson will save cinema so 12 years after the events of the Bourne Ultimatum Nikki persuades Jason to look even further into the already incredibly deeply mined CIA conspiracy of Treadstone, Blackbriar, etc. And he learns that he has more history with them than he realised and is once again a target. I am sick of describing the plots of these movies because they are getting so contrived with like, but there's another level of secret that you didn't even know about with Treadstone. <laughs> and it's like, can you just do something like different? So, uh, Jason Bourne is a bare knuckle boxer now. That's fun, right? Like, but there's no, there's nothing. He has no life. It's just. I think that's the most disappointing thing. Is like, as you say, they could have done something with this. They could have done something with he's maybe he's built a life or anything to do with that. But in, there's not even any references to Marie. It's not like he's holding a candle out for Marie, which is why he doesn't settle down with a girl. Yeah. There's no him traveling around, going to different countries, and kind of like just trying to get by and make money. It's just mm-hmm. oh no, he's Ben Ben. <laughs> bare knuckle boxer yeah. and there's he's just earning money from doing these fights okay. so let's rewrite the film right now so Jason's in a supermarket and he has like a meet cute with a lady but he doesn't follow through <laughs> on it even though she's giving him the signals because he just he, he just can't you know like he just won't and then he goes back to his apartment that is like so spartan and like puts the bare essentials in his very empty fridge you know, like, this is already more compelling. <laughs> or maybe he's at a party with his fiance and he is lip-reading from across the room and freaks everyone out. I don't know. One of those two would be good. It's weird, you know, they start with that I remember everything, the montage of flashbacks... I, I watched that scene and immediately texted you and said, God, it's fucking hilarious that the first of these movies I saw was this one. Yeah. <laughs> like, I had the entire plot of the first three movies technically spoiled for me. Right in front of you. They do a lot of him pre the events of identity. And it makes sense when you when you watch the movie why that is the case, because they're, they're harking on the origins of his recruitment. But when you just see that montage cold, it's like you would expect it to be weighted evenly between the movies, but it's a lot of... I mean, it's from Ultimatum, but it's set before Identity, and obviously nothing from The Bourne Legacy. But I think that's the thing, is, like, when watching this in the cinema, I was just kind of sat there going, like, oh, I guess they're recapping the other movies. Mm. And so the fact that this entire movie is based around revelations 
that are done in the same style as the other one, I was very confused and kind of had to go afterwards to somebody's in the movie and go like, what part of this movie did we not know beforehand? Like, did we know his dad was involved <laughs> or anything like that? Like, I didn't know what information was new and what information... <laughs> we didn't know he had a dad, Ben. He could have been a test tube, maybe. He one-punches this dude, which is very out of character, quite frankly. Like, I know he's a badass, but... It's not like he was just decking people with a single punch before this. And he won't do that again either. And it's just, I don't know, it feels like something a producer not closely involved in the movie just walked in and was like, yeah, and he should just fucking KO him in one punch and then just walks out of the room and goes and drives his Ferrari or something. Meanwhile, Nikki, Julia Stiles, is hacking the CIA files from Reykjavik. And despite Heather Lee, Alicia Vikander's efforts to stop her, so she briefs the CIA about what happened and she joins the little mission to track down Nikki and Bourne. Good lord, the acronyms in this, like, subroutine folder of, of files. Like, there is Larks and Treadstone and Blackbriar, but there's also Deep Dream and Iron Hand and a bunch of others I didn't bother to write down, but, like, goodness gracious, <laughs> there's a lot going on there. She sees uh, Richard Richard Webb, uh, his name on a file, so it's like, ah, oh, Jason's father, the origins of Treadstone. Uh. And then I like that when, when they bring up Nikki's file at the CIA, there's, like, a huge red banner that says, linked to Jason Bourne. It's like, <laughs> is this really how you'd handle official policy at the CIA? Like, I know he did some big stuff, but there's surely bigger things in the world that I don't know, maybe I mean, they've I, all got their own colour-coded banners on them. I guess, I guess the issue we have with this movie is that there hasn't been any movie that's dealt with the fallout of him leaking the Treadstone and Blackbriar files. Well, and so, Legacy like, was entirely about what happens when he re- leaks those files. Sure, I guess. Don't besmirch the ultra-important to the franchise Born Legacy. I just mean, like, there is no... Like, yeah. we don't actually know how damaging it is. Again, this movie, all we know is that is that uh, Pam Landy was, like, strung up for it, which... Ezra Kramer presumably had to step down because of it. Or maybe he just retired. They keep... That's that's the thing. It's like, this movie feels like they're trying to be a soft reboot of the franchise and not tied to any previous stuff, but with this entirely new build-up of, like, supporting characters. But, like, we don't get anything to kind of, like... One of the cool and fun things about the Bourne movies has been how they kind of, like, fold in on each other and they reference each other and they kind of build a narrative between all of them. And that's and then suddenly get... become lame. <laughs> yeah, it's suddenly become lame, but also there's not enough of it in this movie where it's like, I want yeah. someone from the other movies to come in and kind of like tell you what the change up of the, the CIA has been. I... So Jason has his meet cute at the supermarket, he comes home to the, uh, the lonely flat, he puts on the TV, the ongoing trial of Ezra Kramer, uh, you know, do something, man. Like... Yeah, I mean, you managed to get all these fucking people back for Ball and Legacy, they definitely would come back for the one with the, like, the original director. Yeah. Um, so two things about this fucking scene. One is the first line of dialogue in this fucking movie Christian Dassault. Yes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I believe that is true. Yes, Christian Dassault, a character we hear referenced ominously repeatedly, and then you meet him and he's just some dude, and he's just gone again. Two, I can, you can tell this movie's written by people who are older than, like, 40, because the name of the social media app is Deep Dream. Mmm. And people love the guy that founded it. It's like, did you see the social network and think that Mark Zuckerberg's a good dude? Like, <laughs> Have you watched Jack's internal meltdown on Twitter and thought people like this guy? Mm. Although everyone loves Tom from MySpace. He couldn't put a foot wrong. Yeah, but MySpace is, doesn't exist anymore. I know, that's what I'm saying. That's their frame of reference for social media. <laughs> It's just, it's just this utterly bizarre thing where, like, I don't know, like, th- th- this movie pays so much lip service, so much stuff. Like, the, I, I guess the hacking and I guess some of the stuff the CIA does is, like, on the bare level of truth. But the actual engagement with the way that we convey information nowadays through social media is so lacking and coming from, like, just an overall confusion of, like, what any of this means that it just means nothing. And like, there's just so much going on so quickly and not a good way. Like, I know that a key part of these, like, conspiracy, mystery, thriller, CIA nonsense things is to try and keep things a little bit confusing, but there are ways to do that that don't make your audience go, what the fuck is going on? 
and this isn't doing that because who are all these new people is this another scene okay right oh was he involved in treadstone yep okay good so she's gonna take point but she's not but she is but she's not and so nikki arranges a meeting with jason amidst a huge public protest in athens that turns into a riot uh, and she insists he look further into the file she's recovered but she is then killed by the asset despite jason trying to get them out of there i do appreciate that like i thought they were trying to they may not have intentionally been doing this but i read it as they're trying to say that technology has closed the gap between the incompetent caa and the ultra competent jason bourne in the time he's been away because they find nikki and they find him pretty quickly in that like very crowded setting but then they ruin it and say enhance which is just garbage the thing that we both liked about legacy was like the process of like how do you find someone like with with nothing to go on how do you find them quickly and like that was fascinating stuff that they didn't explore far enough and again it seems like they're trying to tell a kernel of that story but then that sort of falls by the wayside as well but it all serves to make heather look incredibly competent and like because she's like the head of cyber security or something so it's like she has this tech background rather than being essentially a politician or an army man and i like how competent she ends up looking throughout this movie but yeah i I think that's that's one of the few bright spots this movie is alicia vikander looks brilliantly competent and is an actual interesting character of a a vast wave of just nothing i think every other character who's introduced in this movie is nothing and i don't care i never want to see any of them ever again yeah I also appreciate, like, one of the the unwritten things of this movie is the reason they keep on failing is because they keep on going after Bourne. Yes. Like, in situations where they have, like, you can either go for this person or this person, they choose Bourne and just completely fuck up. In the situation in Athens, he's with Nikki and then they split up and then they're all just like, follow Bourne, follow Bourne, don't... (laughs) And I like that because Dewey is the one that... uh, Tommy Lee Jones' Dewey is the one that insists, stay with Bourne. And Jason knows they're going to stay with him, but Heather has that, like, silent, judgmental look where it's like, I don't know, maybe we should stick with Nikki or both of them. (laughs) Uh, But it's... Dewey is, like, the dinosaur here and Jason understands someone like Dewey. That should have been the story here. He gets that. He doesn't un- he is not prepared for a Heather Lee. And like, in some ways, the way this movie ends, it seems like that's the story they want to tell next. But given what a lame duck this movie is, they probably shouldn't. And then like, you know, saying that they find them so easily. Equally, Jason maintains his kind of almost supernatural thing because he just like appears next to Nikki in the crowd as if by magic. So like maintaining the mythos of Jason Bourne. The dialogue when she's trying to convince him is like so weak, which is wild given some of Gilroy's. I, I guess the dialogue isn't bad in the Bourne legacy. It's just the overall plot. I don't know. It's, but... it's just the information they're trying to convey is bad as opposed to like, yeah. the way people are talking. I, don't, I think this is my favourite sequence of the movie. I think this is the only good sequence in the movie. <laughs> I think it's visually good, but I think the writing here when these two are talking to each other is fucking terrible. Oh, oh, sure. It's just that I remember you texting me and you go like, an hour in, something interesting's happened. And I literally couldn't maintain focus on this movie after about 40 minutes. Mm. I hang my hat entirely on Alicia Vikander's character in the movie. I think she is everything interesting about it. And it was when things started to happen more with her beyond just sitting there watching that's what was pulling me in and like what happens with the ending with her i thought was really cool um, that's fair. the rest of it feels incredibly unimportant and paint by numbers and going through the motions and they spend it's not that like the overall plot doesn't start until he meets fucking whatever is fucking christian de or whatever but it's just i'm just sitting there looking at how much time has elapsed and how much time is left and like what i know about what's happened so far in the movie and i'm like you have spent 40 minutes establishing mood and tone and being like right look we're back and I just wish all movies would stop doing this and just get going quicker. Like, so many superhero movies, like, they spend 40 minutes, 45 minutes on just the pure origin. And then it's like, oh, and now here is where the villain will intersect with them. And then they'll solve it in 10 minutes. And I agree. Like, it's visually interesting to see this, like, giant fucking riot happening. Not in real Greece. I can't remember where they actually filmed it. I think maybe Cyprus. But it harkens back to... And, like, again, I feel there's, like, a lost plot here with Nikki and her spending a decade trying to become someone that Jason would, like, respect or whatever, and, like, her working under Christian as, like, her his protege. And, like, hey, when he met me in the Born Supremacy, he used this, like, public protest to, like, manoeuvre around. I'll pull a page out of his playbook. But, I don't know. 
It's just a very long scene. I just like the stuff with them heavily interacting with the asset and trying to guide him where to go yes. so he can get this shot on them is like Into and that. the car chase is the most exhilarating part of the movie that I don't think the movie ever catches up with again. And I, 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 I like him crashing in that alleyway as well. <laughs> like when he's like right on them, he like starts a fire. Or, like it, I don't know. He he he, some... he he picks up a Molotov cocktail off of yes. like someone else and then like throws it on the ground behind him. A lot like how uh, Bond dealt with. With Hinks inspect, uh, yeah, and then him just like suddenly smashing into the alleyway. But yeah, I, I do like them directing the asset around, and then the brutality of you know he takes his shot, he hits Nikki, they fly off the bike, and then they're like she's not dead, and Jason's like I'm coming to get you, and then the asset shoots her dead right in front of him. It's like this is <laughs> pretty fucking dark, and then Lee of course surmises that. There is a vendetta against Bourne by the asset, and and Tommy Lee Jones confesses. Yes, after what happened with Blackbriar, this dude was captured in Syria, tortured for two years, and it took a lot of work to get him out. And it's like, okay, this dude probably shouldn't be back in the field, to be honest. But here we are. I mean, but also, it's this is the amount of introspection this scene gets. Like, there is nothing more to this character other than he was tortured and doesn't like Bourne. Doesn't there's even no, have a name. <laughs> no, there's no personal connection. It's just so thoroughly uninteresting. And, and, like, and then they spend the next hour and a half not being able to decide if the villain is Cassell or Tommy Lee Jones and ultimately it's Alicia Vikander obviously but like they're like building it up as Cassell as the physical threat and Dewey is the like actual mwahaha villain but then they just off Tommy Lee Jones and then I'm like I forgot almost it's like he's he's setting to go back out there and she's like you don't have to go after him I'm like go after who you just fucking killed him and I was like oh yeah the asset you didn't do enough with either of them. It's that classic problem where they can decide. I, I, yeah, I think the main issue is, like, and it's an issue that Legacy had as well, is that there isn't a scene between Damon and Cassell, really, until they have that final face-to-face fight. It's all just kind of, like, looking at each other. Like, you should have your villain and your hero have a conversation if yes. it is conducive to, like, giving us reasons to give a shit about the plot. Swapping ideologies, you know, like, two sides of the same coin, all this shit, like, these classic tropes with good villains, like, none of it is here. At the end of the day, Bourne doesn't know why this guy wants him dead. And I think that's a fundamental missed opportunity, is that Bourne doesn't have to reckon with the fact that what he did actually impacted human lives. Yeah. Because, like, this guy, maybe he's got a good opinion. Yes, he's evil and starts, like, murdering innocent people because he wants to get his revenge murder on, but like there is a kernel of an interesting idea here mm. where there is someone whose life was so irrevocably ruined by Bourne doing what he did in the first trilogy but the movie does nothing with it obviously the right thing to do to out the CIA doing shady shit but then actual human lives are affected by it in a negative way as well and like consequences negative consequences of a positive action like that's interesting story to tell but no not done not here jason picks the trail back up from nikki's notes learning that his father proposed the original treadstone program and that malcolm smith led his surveillance and recruitment so dewey has a conversation with rizamed aaron kalor just such disrespect to Aaron Cross that they would reuse that Aaron name. They bicker about their arrangement, and there's, you know, talk of Deep Dream could be compromised, Iron Hand could be compromised. They really beat us over the head with Snowden's name in this movie. But, like, this whole plot with Aaron Kalor just does not come together quickly enough, and it makes him feel it, like... It doesn't come together at all. Well, yeah, <laughs> like... but I didn't even really actually understand what the fuck they were talking about until they actually took the stage near the end or whatever. Like, it's like, okay, he's some kind of tech billionaire ostensibly maybe he has a social media like site the cia backed it i'm like what and then yeah it's just messy i think no, the, the entire thing is it's like someone in their 60s basic understanding of like how social media and the internet works decided to write a script on it yeah like they're more interested in the ways that the cia are invading lives and they know that the government are trying to get through people through like social media devices but they have no understanding of how it works there isn't a scene in this movie where someone is using deep dreams we actually understand exactly what kind of social media service it is you have to put together what deep dream is just based on like context he's up there talking about like and nobody's watching you back and everyone's like yeah i was like but what is Deep Dream? Is this a browser? Is it? Uh, is he an ISP? Like, what is this? A, is this Facebook? Like, like the interesting thing to do would be have every fucking character in this movie using Deep Dream. Yes. Like this is. 
this is something that the world has changed and everyone's just kind of like stood there and like browsing it and stuff like that or the reason that they're in fucking Athens is because people are live streaming the riots on Deep Dream and so Jason has his meat kit in the supermarket he goes back to his Spartan apartment he turns on the TV and like the CAA trials are going on later that night he's scrolling through Deep Dream and he finds the lady from the supermarket and he's like oh maybe no I won't go for it we're writing a better movie in real time here <laughs> I just so much don't care about any yeah. part of this movie like I again thought it was fine watching it in the cinema but watching it now yeah. just completely painful and I don't want to talk about it much more and speaking this... of which Christian Dassault is here <laughs> he's nothing he's a European skinhead he was Nikki's mentor Jason doesn't like him they don't tell us why he tries to fight Jason Jason kills him or we don't him t- we don't tell us what he did did he leak files as well he just says like oh we got the similar thing but it sounds like Bourne has done more to cripple yep. American intelligence than this guy ever has this is just like yep. a hacker and not to say that Mr. Robot's per- perfect or anything but like Mr. Robot is actually like a show about hackers and like the ways that they impact things and is yeah. interesting it's wild how many things this movie is failing to like equal or better or, or whatever or even acknowledge that have come out in between it feels like they just thought they could just pick back up with what they used to do that they would be kings of cock of the walk and all that and it's like no but people have been doing it in this space in the time you've been away and they've been doing these things better than you yeah like you brought us this great kind of like trilogy that works really really well together and like meshed and made a cohesive unit and then afterwards people have kind of taken these individual elements from what you've done and they've kind of extrapolated and expanded and made interesting things based on an element of what Bourne managed to cohesively do. Yes. And they've come back and kind of gone like, right, but what if we do our kind of like scattershot effective thing? And you can maybe argue this is trying to be the first in a trilogy and we'll learn more as like Jason Bourne 2 and Jason Bourne 3 come out and it'll end up maybe as good as Ultimatum. But uh-huh. <laughs> this starting block is so much worse than what Bourne Identity started with. A movie that like I remembered being better than it was and then I watched it and I was like, ah. Oh, this isn't amazing but still better and also i think born identity is made better by the events of supremacy and ultimatum like in a meta way whereas it would take a lot of fucking writing (laughs) in a hypothetical sequel to raise this up lee deletes files using a phone that's nearby i don't know if this is possible it might be i mean if you can turn a a phone into a wi-fi hotspot and you can network things together maybe but yeah she's deleting files on Dassault's like mega computer just using a random phone that's in the room (laughs) it it is a random phone but it's not even like a smartphone it's just it's the one they're using isn't it like because then she texts it they call it and then she texts it yeah and that was what i thought was interesting was you know she is set up to be your pam landy where like she is chasing Bourne, but she is in conflict with her superiors and that is kind of what is happening here in that dewey tells her to do one thing and she does another but then she becomes marie or nikki she's filling both roles which i thought was kind of interesting and like her texting jason on the phone while dewey's talking to him over it and like she started the conversation off well and was potentially getting through to him and then Dewey barges in and like completely fucks it and I thought that stuff was interesting like I think the Alicia Vikander Tommy Lee Jones like back and forth character story is the most interesting thing in the movie for me a grab team tries to come for him he gets away I had to watch this about six or seven times to understand the mechanic like he presses the up button on the on the elevator climbs into the 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 weight Yes. That kind of descends from the elevator to kind of bring it down and hides in that because that's big enough for a person to step into, apparently. Apparently. Uh, and then slams the door in the guy's face. And I literally, like, yeah. it's like it's like something had happened in the movie and, like, I just couldn't focus on it anymore because like, I watched this scene six or seven times and I was just like, I'm not retaining the information. And I just... <sighs> Uh, after this, I was literally just done. Apart from like when action was happening, that <laughs> was mostly dialogueless, so I wouldn't have to like pay attention to anything. I was fine, but like I, just, it nothing. was like that lame scene at the end of Identity where they come for him in the safe house and he just beats them all. And like, but without the comedy value of him surf like sky surfing a body down a shaft of stairs and shooting someone on the way down. Yeah, Lee argues that Bourne can be brought back in. Hirsch apparently in his dying days before Is he, he did. Yeah, legacy. 
they say on the while he's on a plane, they're like, Albert Hirsch was found dead in his hotel room of an apparent heart attack. Clearly, this <laughs> AI killed him. Potentially for writing this evaluation that says that Jason Bourne can still be brought in and he's still a patriot and all that. The asset is a hurt bunny about it when her plan is given the go-ahead. Kalor's right-hand man rats to Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Jones is like undermining. Oh, fuck off. Uh, so Jason <laughs> gets to Malcolm Smith despite God. Jimmy. God. God. It's God. Yeah. Who? What did? He, who did he? When did he play God? On the leftovers. Ah. Uh, wait. This was Malcolm Smith. Yeah. What? Yes! I do not remember the leftovers, apparently. Jason gets to Malcolm Smith despite Dewey's efforts, and Smith reveals the CIA killed Jason's father after he threatened to expose the program in an effort to save Jason. Jason spotting them all from a distance somewhat undermines this narrative they're telling, that, like, they're now potentially on equal footing because they just look like dipshits again as he's just standing far away, and it's like, well, there's a white van and two men. Like, that's clearly them. I did like the asset turning on the rest of the team, like... Vikander is allegedly in charge. Dewey is remotely calling in, but he is switching between two radio channels where he's talking directly to the asset and he's also talking directly to Smith, which I thought was quite cool. And then he's switching back and like undermining her and like, oh, you know, get control of this operation. And he's having the asset kill the rest of the grab team and everything. That was actually what I wrote down as the first interesting thing to happen and it only took an hour. But uh, I'm also a sucker for foldable guns and the asset has one of those. He does have one of those. Yes. And that Jason's big plan to like equalize this situation is to just set off a bunch of fire alarms which panics that public square and then that public that panics smith okay he spent a good five to ten minutes building this up and it seems just a little bit like the guy just did the oh god the bin men he's one of them i'm going for it all over again (laughs) (laughs) jason failing to notice an earpiece seems a bit unlikely but then him getting it and walking around while listening to dewey's private conversation is kind of fun that wire stunt is wild and shit (laughs) like like him like falling off the roof and grabbing a wire and it looks terrible in a movie that has had really good looking stunts in the past this is real bad I I think we just haven't figured out how to do people falling off of high structures whilst tied to a rope because Quantum of Solace's similar one looks bad let's just not do that let's not have people fall off high structures please Lee warns Bourne that Dewey is heading to a tech... Why is the fucking director of the CIA attending a tech conference in Vegas? Does this happen? Do the CIA attend these things? I mean, possibly. I, but I'm more confused because, like, he falls... Bourne falls off the five-story building. They make a point of that. He's bleeding and concussed, makes a plan with Heather Lee, apparently, in the in the car, and then nothing happens from that. In fact, Bourne has maybe, like, half a fight scene after this, really. Uh, yeah. Kind of. Like, Bourne, Bourne's kind of, like, off the table. Apart from taking out the asset, Bourne really does nothing that kind of, like... Yep, but, like, throws a wrench in anyone's plans. Yeah. I guess them anticipating his arrival changes things a bit but yeah so he's going to this tech conference in vegas to finalize iron hand which is like both Blackbriar in that like it lets operatives kill anyone they want without jurisdiction to make sure they get their targets but then they also want to use Kalor's deep dream thing to surveil people so it's two different things under one name which is bad writing but jason saves Kalor from uh, Kalor wants to go public and confess that he took cia money but because he doesn't want to go along with this, he doesn't want to be blackmailed. So they plan to have him killed, uh, and Jason saves him. So I guess they thought they were being poignant with this. They've made up a jihadi nationalist, and like the asset is wearing a glove that has these fake fingerprints on, and all of this that they think they're being like, you know, here's a great jab at America. They fear Middle Eastern people. It's like, yeah, but you are like a decade late on this boat as well. <laughs> Lee hacks him back into the country while on a laptop on a plane. I guess that's impressive, but like, as you were saying, this like big swell, welcome to America, sir, or like, welcome home, sir. As he, as it, it, again, it's like, the last movie was set mostly in America. Yep. According to the audience, he has not spent that much time outside of America because you've done nothing to reinforce the fact it's been 12 years yep. in between the two events. Yeah. You cannot have your cake and eat it. If, I don't even think it is that having their cake and eating it. It's just like trying to imply that something's happened when the audience has no <laughs> real time frame of reference what has happened you can't tell me about a recipe you've come up with for a cake and also i don't know <laughs> jason arms himself with gadgets he's he pickpockets from this convention 
of, you know, because it's like DIY spy shit that you can go out and get, which I still think is kind of wild that you can just go buy some of this stuff. Let um, me tell you, if you're bored of this fucking movie, look away from the screen for about two seconds, you miss the set of all these devices and have no clue what's going on in the final new model of and this you, film. And you think he's just magic to arise from nowhere, yes. Dewey gets notified moments before he takes the stage that Jason Bourne is here, he was let back into the country, how did he get through customs? It must have been Lee. Asset, please kill him. Heather as well but then this removes the fact that he was going to be on stage next to him and he was like oh shoot me in the arm or the hand so it looks more believable so this now look will no longer look like anything other than you killed this dude although I guess if a CIA person dies whatever Kalor wants to come clean like who is this character because like at the beginning you assume he's gonna be like oh on the face of it he's nice but he's got his dark secret but now he's trying to like be the nicest guy like the only nice tech billionaire in the world but then by the end of the movie he's kind of been set up as a villain as well maybe if that's where they were going with it i i don't know like again they've introduced this idea of the cia having backdoor entrance into a social media device and at no point is that switched on do they do anything with this it's just this is the thing the cia does and the reason why it's in the movie is utterly pointless it does nothing like literally nothing to service anything i would rather that the the new idea was born finding out about locks or something mm. it's dumb but like kind locks of, 04 <laughs> i don't know i just like this is so half-baked that yeah. i would rather it's just he finds out that they're making more super soldiers like him Ugh. i don't want to be reminded that there's a super soldier plot canonically <laughs> in the born universe is this when we announce we're doing our treadstone miniseries wow. where we watch every episode of treadstone <sighs> Maybe I'll get bored enough one day that I will check out the first episode of that. The asset gets ID'd independently, so that, like, kills their cover story. As in, he's spotted and, and all that, and... <sighs> the spotlight to stop it. Whatever. During a confrontation in Dewey's suite, Lee kills Dewey, but fails to stop Bourne from going after the asset. They get in a huge car chase across Vegas, and Jason kills him. So Dewey is like, right, okay, I'll be up there, I'll wait for him, whatever. He now attempts to bring him in, and, like, obviously it's a ruse, and he's probably gonna try and kill him, try and kill him as soon as he gets through to him, but, like, even as a ruse, this kind of doubles down on the element they've been doing of Dewey gaslighting Heather, where he's like, oh, no, he can't be brought in, and then he starts trying to bring him in, and I know that it's a ruse, but it's like, you know, it, it plays into that. You know, he asserts that, you know, the stuff you did made this country safer and and you've saved hundreds you've saved thousands of lives and and you know you won't find peace out there like these are all heather's words essentially and it does seem to be getting through to him because jason is like looking very confused and like back to almost amnesia boy again but then people start firing guns and that's over <laughs> yeah the the, the left hand man or right hand man to, to dewey who's been in the entire movie and has done nothing, nothing. other than say the I... word jihadi <laughs> yeah i don't i don't want to say that i mean like like, Ato Asando is, like, fine. It's just the role is absolutely nothing. Continuing a fine tradition of these, like, right-hand men who are nothing. And there was a right-hand woman in Legacy as well. This car chase, I don't think it's bad. And I, it's obviously better than the one at the end of The Born Legacy, which is a form of torture. I just don't think it's a patch on supremacy or ultimatum, personally. And maybe it's because no. I just overall don't care as much, so I'm not inclined to give it more of a chance. But I'm, like, watching it, and I'm like, this should be exciting. I should care. Like, this is about the man that killed Jason's father, but I just don't. And it yeah, took them this is... five weeks to film it, so that's a shame that it, I, I don't know. care. This is, like, the big thing, and everyone's going crazy. Like, they shut down the Vegas Strip, and they're running cars down it and just smashing into each other. But because there's no tension to any of it, it's just they're driving around kind of aiming at each other. And you're like, I was far more interested in the scene where one of you was on a bike and on top of a rooftop with a gun. Like, that was more interesting visually and yeah. emotionally. Because yeah. you, you put the legwork into giving us stakes in that, whereas there's no stakes here, really. Because, mm. again, the fight, the car chase doesn't even end in a similar way to Supremacy Ultimatum with, like, the car chase being the end of it. Instead, it ends in a fist fight underground where... A bad one. Like, a really bad one. It's like they've ran out of money. Yeah. If you had told me the Bourne franchise would culminate inside a fucking casino, I would not have believed you. And then they're, like, stalking... They're, like, going different pathways in this, like, sewer system or, or, or basement tunnels or whatever and Bourne flies out of nowhere to fuck him up but I don't know I, I guess what they're going for is because this is personal it's gonna be visceral it's not gonna be pretty fighting not that he's a lot of his fights have been pretty brutal but like it feels like they're doing it on purpose but it just feels so much 
more lacking in a franchise that is known for cool fight scenes this is just like a really ugly two men just rolling around kind of thing and they try and do a bit of it with him blocking his knife with like a tin or whatever the fuck it is but it's just so lacking and how come the asset can't be one punch KO'd to Treadstone and Blackbriar like teach you to have iron jaws like um, yeah it's, it's bad it's real bad and I don't care about any of it and it's Vincent Cassell playing an assassin I should care yeah he- an inherently interesting guy but I think a big reason is like Dan Bradley is not working on this movie who's their second unit stunt guy who worked on Supremacy and Ultimatum he knows how to make these fights interesting and that just isn't here and mm. all I could think throughout this entire bit was like not that the, the, the kind of layouts are similar but going from an assassination to like a one-on-one brawl I thought oh god Rogue Nation did this so much better <laughs> and now in my opinion the best five minutes of the movie Heather lobbies to become CIA director as a a woman and be far younger than all of the other directors, so bold. Arguing that she has ties to Kalor, she has a relationship with Bourne now, and so she'd be uniquely suited to achieve their goals. She's like, I can bring him back in, and if I can't, I'll kill him. And then she goes to meet Jason, and gives him the pitch, but he's like, I'll think about it, and disappears, but he leaves this recording from, as you said, this device he swiped from Vegas. He heard the whole conversation, so he knows that she's she's bullshitting him. Like, I don't want a sequel based on how bad the overall movie is but in terms of like setting up a sequel i thought this is as good as they've ever done it because like you have Kalor, you know seemingly coming out the other side of an assassination attempt now being like oh well fuck this then i want to be a, an evil billionaire maybe i don't know and then heather turning as well she sees the light and that like jason is a good person but then actually comes full circle and almost like learns from dewey's like awful treatment of her and like plays the game herself and is like set up now to be the villain in the next one but there won't be a next one yeah i just thought that was quite an interesting take and like with alicia vikander being the best thing in it throughout and then ending it in a way where it's like and she will be the villain in the next one i was like oh that's pretty cool but then you know when you're bored to paralysis for like an hour and 20 minutes and then they do something vaguely interesting you get stockholm syndrome you're like oh wow what a great thing you've done and maybe it's actually only okay yeah no this this movie is the very definition of like barely okay (laughs) barely um and looking into it apparently the director of the cia changes every like year or so what yeah that seems logistically not sound. Since 2005 there have been 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 directors of the CIA in the last 15 years. That's kind of wild. That seems like a job you need to do a lot of catch up on. (laughs) You know, we talked about you know, I want to see more of like Nikki trying to prove herself. I also want to see more of like Treadstone headhunting Jason. And like the flashback doesn't look good, the de-aging. So obviously practically they couldn't have done this. But like give me more implication behind like so this guy pitches this program and then the people are like, yeah, sounds good. And then they identify his son as a perfect candidate. And like, tell me about that. Show me that. And then him being like, no, 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 not my son. Anyone, but you know. And that hypocritical thing of like, we should do this. Oh, but not anyone involved with me. I think yeah, all mid- of that would have been interesting as well, but it's not here. <laughs> The movie tries to shortcut so much of, like, its tension or its plot and just kind of go, like, like, it's telling you this is a thing that happened. It seems to, yeah, it foregoes everything in it that was set up to be interesting by default unless you choose to skip over it and they skipped over it. It's almost like they went out of their way to make a more boring version of the movie they wrote and fuck it it's better than legacy but it's not good <laughs> yeah like it's better than legacy but just because it's more visually interesting in some regards than bought legacy mm. and it's less stupid yeah but like but like so like my bottom three movies in this that we've watched is jason Bourne, born legacy and and mission impossible 2 i would rather re-watch mission impossible 2 i keep saying this but mission impossible 2 is bad in an entertaining way yeah no it's, it's bad in an entertaining way it's like it's reprehensible a worse movie but a more interesting movie whereas these are bad and boring and dull and should feel bad about wasting four hours of my life at least boring is worse than bad i will keep saying it to anyone who will listen so villain watch robert dewey he gaslights heather you know his operations on operations on operations like in theory they've gone out and gotten another of these like prestige actors to play this like nefarious cia role tommy jones it's a pay 
paycheck, I guess. Yeah, like, he sleeps through... A lot of his roles in this century, he's been, like, less than up for, and he's sleepwalking, quite frankly. Vincent Cassell as the asset, like, a really good idea for the character, but not explored in any way. And then, uh, oh, I forgot, near the end, they do the insulting the dead loved one to give the character a power-up trope, because he says something about, just like your father or whatever, and then Jason suddenly, like, hulks up and, like, beats him. I'm not this a character who we're only interested in this movie and he finds out actually portrayed him technically but not really because yep. he never knew and they assassinated him because he was going to tell his son about what was going to happen yeah it's that thing of like generally these movies are like okay the guy that pulled the trigger I want to get him but it's the person that gave the order that is really important and they almost reverse that because it's very clear Dewey gave the order but Jason seemingly doesn't give a shit about Dewey and maybe he just doesn't know that bit because he does seem to be vaguely listening to him god I forgot that the asset's the one that's supposed to have killed his dad yeah and then they repeat the shot because he drives past him in the same way he remembers him driving past before oh, it's yeah I, I the asset killed his dad man yeah. I don't like can we be done uh, okay Heather Lee arguably a villain Aaron Kalor maybe a villain actually good character turns maybe did you throw up this segment feels moot because everything is now shaky cam and it feels less pronounced now because everyone's doing it everyone's doing it it doesn't look as good because it doesn't, like the editor has written the movie the stunt director's not here anymore so even like the action's just more convoluted and so like because it's not got that same focus and brutality that it had when they had someone actually doing decent stunt coordination yes. behind the behind the wheels instead it's just nothing and because you're not really latched onto anything you're not even getting that shaky cam feeling and as you say like almost every movie's doing this nowadays and it's a breath of fresh air when you get a movie that isn't doing this kind of stuff and it's why I probably do prefer the John Wick team and like you you watch it like Birds of Prey and it's like yeah. oh look how clean and clear this action is. I know, it's fluid, it chains, it's organic, it's great. Female agency. Alicia Vikander, she's the best part of the movie. She's the only one who's done the reading. She's done the homework. She comes across as the only competent person. She is a step ahead of all the men. She gets gaslit. Like, this all feels very topical and meta and everything. But the movie doesn't The movie doesn't give an, enough for her to do in this movie. They set up an interesting plotline for a sequel, yeah, which is probably gonna never going to happen. And then we... But, like, I will say, do we think that Bourne has done best by its female characters across all five movies. I think so. Because I think- while Eva Green's great and Rick Ferguson's great, but there are some iffy moments with both of them. And I think Bourne staying largely sexless <laughs> for in some ways helps because you don't get the gratuitous shots of people getting undressed and you don't get big rapey Bond here to, you know, just crack on to all the ladies. They more underserve them than are outright sexist. Is the yeah, thing. like when I think when Mission Impossible or Bond have a good female character, they give an awful lot for them to do, and they pl- kind of plot drivers. Whereas Bourne has just very subtly, like there are five or six female characters who probably are like better representations of female characters. This kind of thing, even if they give them fuck all to do. And this is they- also guilty. I said it in in Rogue Nation, so it would be hypocritical of me not to raise it again. It feels again like that thing of oh, we can give you a big female character, but it means there will be almost no other women in the movie because you know Julia Stiles is bad for her sort of cameo. I guess she's in it just long enough and she's just relevant enough to the plot that this isn't a fridging, but close... She doesn't die to further Bourne's emotional journey because he doesn't really have an emotional journey or like her emotional his emotional journey is more to do with revelations from his past. Yeah. He's upset by it, but he's not like, right, you all die because you killed Nikki. It's more like she is actually the impetus for the plot. They're going after her because of something she's done as opposed to something that Bourne's done. They're not yes. doing it to they hurt him. They set out to get her as well as him. And also it was arguable you know, we talked about it. They keep making the mistake of choosing to go after Bourne because he's going to give them the slip versus if you stay on the people he's trying to protect that's a more effective way to do it and like yeah shooting Nikki took out Bourne in some ways but I think Alicia Vikander is the best part of the movie uh, I completely agree she probably is the most interesting I think the best sequence of the movie is a sequence in which she's being very much a guiding presence in, in Athens Yeah. whenever she's on screen she's doing something interesting the re- the, the twist at the end or, or revelation at the end <laughs> is, is interesting it sets up something more in, keep saying interesting no it's that thing of it's interesting but it's far too late 
know, yeah, it's like, too late to try and be interesting. You have bored you are me making, to sleep. <laughs> you're making gestures at doing something, and I wish you decided on what this movie was going to be, or had gave a shit about what this movie was going to be before you actually made it. Well, we know what the movie's going to be. Meet cute in the supermarket. Back to the apartment. <laughs> Sorry, I won't go through it. Yeah, we're done with this. I'm very bored. It's a, I'm, it's a I'm, bottom three movie, Vive, easily. Let's never talk about it again. I'm so sad that, like, so this was, like, the franchise that I hadn't watched. This was, like, a big impetus behind me agreeing to do this. It was, like, I'm finally going to get to watch these Bourne movies. It's something that you've spoken about, other friends have spoken about in terms of, like, how much they love them, in terms of how much they've changed the visuals of action cinema. Yeah. And I do think that, like, I've not wasted my time watching the first trilogy. I definitely don't have the emotional connection I have to it as yeah. I do to, like, a Casino Royale or even the entirety of the Mission Impossible franchise. But I definitely enjoyed it. They've but really they... gone out of their way to kill that legacy of those first three, though, haven't they? <laughs> it's like, these two movies are so bad. I was like, like, this might be the best of these three franchises. And I'm purely focusing in on that first trilogy. And then it's like, oh no, they've also delivered two of the three worst ones. <laughs> and the two that we have least enthusiasm to ever watch again. And they are arguably now the almost embarrassing last place of these three franchises. <laughs> like, just... again, if you're taking the average, like, I probably would have it worst at the three. I think, the, like, again, I think Mission Impossible is the most consistent. I think when Bond has its height, it's fucking incredible. Yeah. And then Bourne is, like, this incredible trilogy followed by they've exasperated, like, everything they could possibly do with it after this, and no one has a good idea on what to do with the, the franchise afterwards. And it should have been left at three, and it should have been this perfect crystallized kind of like not the greatest trilogy of all time but like very much something that people would offer up as an option in that this is how you do a trilogy you know you mentioned should have been left at a trilogy a franchise that definitely should not have been left at a trilogy because arguably all its best work came after the first two Not quite, I really like three. Mission Impossible Fallout, yeah, okay. Mission Impossible Fallout is next week. One of the three big movies I was very excited to talk about on this podcast because I haven't seen it and everyone says this is a contender for film of the year, the year it came out. Not just action movies, just overall movies. It's in my top 10 for 2018. Look, Skyfall would have been a pick for me for There Will Be Movies, uh, but we decided to do this podcast instead and it means we also get to talk about Fallout, so I'm excited. Go to enterthereallworld.com in the meantime. And unfortunately, next week's episode will be the last for now because No Time to Die, of course, has been delayed. So go watch Mission Impossible Fallout so that you can be prepared for us to talk about it next week. Ben, I assume you're incredibly excited to watch Fallout again. I'm so excited to watch Fallout again. I was home over Christmas and Mission Impossible Fallout was like available on like a streaming service. And I literally just found myself kind of downloading it and just skipping through and just watching random scenes. Mm. Like not even like the whole movie, just kind of go like oh god this is good wow we will find out next week this podcast will of course self-destruct in five seconds as we've always said thank you ben i'm never watching this movie again (laughs) bye everyone secret agent